Jesus gave us an unconditional promise. It was first spoken to the disciples, but it is meant for all of us. We would do well to remember it and even memorize it. It's found in Matthew 16, 18. He said, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. The church is his church. He's involved in building it. He watches over it. He's jealous for it. He's protective of it. I think it's worth noting what, it, what he did not say. All the powers of hell will not try to silence it. He didn't say that. For the adversary is forever attempting to silence the message of the church. Nor did Jesus say all the powers of hell will not attack it. The church has been attacked since the first century and will continue to be under attack. Nor did Jesus say the powers of hell will not attempt to twist its message and confuse others about it. You see, the adversary hates the truth. He is, in fact, not only a liar, he is the father of lies. He won't stop fighting against the church from without and within. Last time we were together, we looked at Peter and John in Acts chapter 4, as they, after being involved in the healing of the beggar at the temple gate, were confronted by the religious authorities of the temple. They frowned and came quickly asking, by what name and in whose authority and under what spirit did you carry out this healing? By the way, it's interesting, they never rejoiced over the healing of the beggar. That's how callous they were. They were only concerned about the lie they were promoting. Peter and John didn't hesitate. They said, it was in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was through his power the man was raised up to walk. In fact, it was through Jesus, the one you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, that this man is now able to walk. That was an attack from without. And it didn't make much impact at all on the church, which continued to grow as the Lord continued to bless the testimony of the early church, often called the apostolic church. Today, we look at an attack from within. 
there's a couple that comes on the scene named Ananias and Sapphira. Perhaps you've never thought of them in this way, but they were a part of the church. So I take it they were believers. They knew the Lord, but they were operating in the energy of the flesh. They were carrying out the desires of their depraved nature. Now that may confuse some who think that if you come to Christ, you no longer have an old nature. If you think that, talk to your wife or husband for a while. They'll help clarify that. You certainly have an old nature and you on occasion operate in the realm of that nature. You always have a choice. The Holy Spirit can speak through you and guide you or your old nature can be in charge. And that's what happens with Ananias and Sapphira. Let me give you a little bit of the backstory. Earlier, Barnabas sold property from the place of his birth, Cyprus. He took all the proceeds from the property and he brought it to Peter and he laid it at the apostles' feet. The full amount that was given, that was earned through the sale, is given to the church. No doubt they received adulation, great praise, a good deal of attention from the church at large as a result of the gift. It was no doubt a fairly sizable gift. Barnabas didn't do it for that purpose. But that's what happened and often does when an individual gives a large donation. Apparently, Ananias and Sapphira wanted to get in on the action. They saw the attention that Barnabas got, and they craved it for themselves. They happened to have property, and they decided between the two of them to sell it and to secretly act as though they were giving all of the profit as Barnabas had done, when in fact they were giving only a part of it. Let's take a close look at what they had done. There was nothing wrong with owning the property there was nothing wrong with selling the property. In fact, there was nothing wrong with their keeping all the profit from the sale. Furthermore, they could have given 10%, 20%, or all of the proceeds from the sale. The sin was in their leaving the impression they were giving all of the proceeds from the sale to the church when in fact they held some back for themselves. It's that kind of thing that happens when we operate in the flesh. We not only make decisions that are sinful, we make decisions and often cover the sin 
by leaving a false impression. Make no mistake, both Ananias and Sapphira were solely responsible for their actions. James writes, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither does he tempt anyone else. Each one is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And lust, when it is conceived, brings forth sin. And sin, when it is accomplished, brings forth death. That is a death-like existence. In other words, there was no way anyone but Ananias and Sapphira could be blamed for their action. Their motive was impure. Their action was sinful because it left a false impression. Furthermore, their words carried a lie as they brought the gift to the Lord's house to be given, and in this case, it was given to Peter. The truth is, Ananias and Sapphira planned this between the two of them. There were, I say again, there would have been nothing wrong in their selling the land and keeping the profit. But for them to sell the land and leave the impression they were giving all the profit, that was the sin. They knew what they were doing. They lied about it, and in the lie, they were caught because the Lord revealed to Peter it was such. How did Peter know? Quite likely was given divine discernment and realized that what he was hearing was in fact a lie. Unfortunately, we live in a day when lies are commonplace. Husbands and wives lie to one another. Children lie to parents. In fact, parents lie to children. Employees lie to employers. Politicians lie to their constituency. Everybody in Washington, D.C. lies. That's a, a pastime there. No wonder it's called a swamp. We've gotten used to it, unfortunately. Satan is the father of lies. It's never, they are never humorous to him. When we lie, we walk in lockstep with his lifestyle. The adversary is always delighted with any kind of lie we give. So we're not surprised that the result was immediate, severe, and swift. The term that is used for Ananias' death is a term for such. Sometime rendered gave up the ghost, which is an archaic rendering of the word he died. 
It's a Greek word for sudden, terrible, judicial death. I take it that it took place before the assembly. This transaction was not carried on in a back room where no one saw or heard. It was done deliberately before the church because that's where Ananias and Sapphira wanted to get the glory. And therefore, Peter's action was seen and witnessed by the church. Let me pause here and add a personal note. It's doubtful you have ever seen anyone die in a church. I've experienced that in my years of ministry. Years ago, we were invited uh, at another church. I was invited with uh, our minister of music and my senior associate to go to Mannheim, Germany, where we were invited by a Christian organization to minister to a large group of army service men and women. There was a base nearby and the meeting was held in sort of a civic center, which was huge. It set 1,500, perhaps as many as 2,000 people. And every evening of the meetings, it was packed. The soldiers were really hungry for the truth. They sang their hearts out. It was almost like a, a, an entire week of revival as the Lord used his word to bring encouragement and conviction. Several people came to know Christ, but in the middle of the week, something happened I'd never experienced before. I'm involved in preaching the message, and suddenly there's a commotion out in the center section of this auditorium where I was speaking. I paused and gave time for people to go and uh, help the one that was in need. Happened to be an officer that had uh, passed out. I was told by someone who came to the platform that we needed to wait a few moments as they brought in uh, a, a stretcher that they might carry the person out, we found out that he had, in fact, died of a sudden heart attack right there in the meeting. I'll tell you, that'll do something to a church service when something like that happens. The three, the three of us, who had, the uh, four of us who had come to, the, to lead the meetings spoke of it later, how a whole a spirit of the, of the gathering changed as a result of the realization that a death had occurred. Many people knew this particular soldier. In fact, the base would soon empty and make its way to Desert Storm, which was just on the horizon about to happen. We didn't know it. They didn't know it. But our meetings could not have been better timed for what they were about to face. It was all of the Lord. It made all of us realize that, as Alexander White once wrote, we, we hang very heavy weights 
on very thin wires. Perhaps the heaviest is our health. All of us think we will live right on through the afternoon and evening. We think we'll go right on through this week. We'll live right on through the rest of this year. We have no promise of that. God's sovereign hand is working in our, all our lives. When he is finished with using us, we are gone. Our lives end. We don't walk in fear of that, nor do we have reason to. To be absent from the body as a believer is to be present with the Lord. I understand the soldier who died was a believer and the moment he breathed his last, he took his first breath of heaven. Gone from us, but at home with the Lord. This death is not like that. By that I mean this is a death of divine discipline. There's a soberness about this death. The suddenness of it, the immediacy of it, the whole church is awakened with the realization that we are to take God very seriously. Three hours pass and Ananias doesn't come home. Sapphira wonders where her husband is. She knows nothing of what has happened at the church. She shows up, comes with the same story, tells it, and Peter is ready to address it. He says to her, is this the price, the full price that you received, and she quickly answers with another lie, yes, this is it. And he says to her, how can you possibly have conspired together to lie to the Holy Spirit? Very important place to stop and remind us this is the Lord's church. This is appropriately called the Lord's house. We are known as the Lord's people who carry out the Lord's work. He owns it all. So we're not surprised here to read of the church's great fear that gripped them because they realized they were witnessing one of the most serious experiences of their life as they see before them how intensely God hates lies. Donald Gray Barnhouse never allowed his congregation to sing the third stanza 
of the gospel song at Calvary. If you're not familiar with the lyrics, the third stanza reads, Now I've given to Jesus everything. Now I, own, I gladly own him as my king. No one has given to Jesus everything. We should pause before we sing, I surrender all, all to him I give, I owe. We owe it all, but we don't give it all. Barthouse went on to explain, if God acted in the same way today that he did in the fifth chapter of Acts, you'd have to have a morgue in the basement of every church and a mortician on the staff of every church staff. Maybe wrote that with tongue in cheek, but he's got a point. Do you lie to one another? Do you lie to your employer? You call in sick when you're not sick? Do you lie to your husband or wife as you cover some secret sin? Do you attempt to lie to God as you live a secret life that's not yet exposed, but one day will be? Those are serious questions. Now, you might think as you hear the story, why didn't God give them time to repent? Stop and think. Their decision wasn't a sudden decision. They'd planned it. It was a premeditated sin. Deliberately planned to deceive apostles and fellow believers. Furthermore, at the heart of the scheme was pride. They wanted to leave an impression that looked spiritual but was in fact carnal. Their act came from the depth of their depravity. But you couldn't tell by looking as they were seeking to grab the glory that would come from a large donation. We need to know how seriously God deals with hypocrisy. If Christians are criticized for anything more often than any other sin, it would be hypocrisy. I've even had businessmen say to me, I'll no longer do business with so-and-so, who, by the way, is a member of your church and will name him, said the way he treated me and our business uh, was a, a shame, and the man was cynical and 
and blamed the whole church for the action of one man's hypocrisy. He had a, he had a beef coming, but he went too far, as individuals often do. You see, the criticism that rises covers a broader base than we ever realize. When we are hypocrites, we attempt to appear something that we're not. We create an impression that is untrue. We like looking more spiritual than we are. Let me drill down a little in that. Someone says to us, be sure and pray for so-and-so because the need is great and we're really at the mercy of the Lord and we say, we'll pray. But we don't. When the person comes back to say, thank you for praying, let me tell you how God answers it. How rarely have we ever said, let me stop you right there. I want to tell you I failed to pray for that need. I don't want you to think I prayed when I didn't. Usually we'll say, well, thank you, and we'll leave it at that. False impression. We did not pray. Jesus says, furthermore, when you pray, don't display your prayer like the hypocrites do, like the Pharisees do. Go into your closet, close the door, and then pour out your soul before God. When you give, don't call attention to your gift. Don't look for your name to be written somewhere or for the glory that comes from someone speaking of your large donation. In fact, he even encourages anonymous giving. And when you fast, don't leave your hair disheveled and wear clothing that is wrinkled and make it look like you have you spent days and nights in fasting. That's all for show. I've had individuals who have gone to rather strict Bible colleges tell the story of their own hypocrisy where they would plant themselves along a pathway where the faculty would walk on the way to classroom so that they would, they would uh, be seen with their Bibles open and their heads bowed in prayer. Uh, you, you've, you've lost your reward. You've done it all to be seen. We can become masters at that. Tell the truth. Live the truth. Walk in integrity. It's a good time to even mention things like exaggeration. It's, it's, it's so easy. And uh, I have to tell you that few people enjoy exaggerating a story more than a preacher. Well, we often say we're speaking evangelistically now. As we add, add to the story, we make it larger than it is. 
We not only lie about the size fish we caught, we lie about the amount of weight we lost. By the way, it's a good time for me to add here, who cares? Only you care. Uh, if it's three pounds, fine, that's great. Don't, don't make it 13. Three and 13 are really different. And certainly don't make it 30. We can tell it's not 30. <laughs> Leave it at three. Best of all, share nothing of your weight loss. And if you happen to have learned and earned an advanced degree, there's no reason to put it on your license plate. I heard about a guy that earned his doctorate. He put on his license plate, doctor. Oh, give me a break, please. We don't care what your GPA was. No one will ever ask. No one cares. And you'll often be grateful, by the way, that they didn't. Leave it there. Leave it. See how subtle it is? The enemy will have us do anything to move into the realm of lacking integrity. That's what this is all about. Pastors love to brag about the size of a congregation or how many baptisms we had last year. What a foolish rehearsing of numbers. God knows them all. It's all for his glory. Give him the praise. And by the way, you're not always doing fantastic. If you're not doing that great, just say this really hasn't been a good week. N nobody's going to uh, tar and feather you because you had a bad week. They're going to thank you for telling them. Uh, I remember going to a little Bible college years ago and, and the the president of the school was so concerned that I think he was always on top. And I would, I, I would meet him at the airport and, how are you? Fantastic! And he would go into this story and it was like, wow, good. okay. Next year I was there and how are you? Fantastic would be the answer again. I would, man, wonder what he's been drinking. I mean, <laughs> smoking. And... Uh, before the next year I was there, by the way, went through a divorce. The school lost a number of students, and he was in a hard time. And I showed up again, and he met me at the airport, and I said, uh, how are you, man? He said, uh, well, I'll say this, Chuck, I'm growing and I'm learning, but I'm not fantastic. I grabbed him and hugged him, and I said, that's the best answer you've ever given me. You were never fantastic before. Fantastic is an exaggeration. You're doing okay. Just say okay. You're feeling well. Just say, today I'm doing pretty well. Leave it at that. Guard your lips. Of the seven things the Lord says he hates, three of them have to do with the mouth or tongue. The first one is a lying tongue. Stop the lies. Just determine they'll end. 
Promise the Lord from this day on you will walk in integrity. Oh, you will fall and fail in other ways. But let's make sure that lies take a hike. I remember attending a, a, uh, a conference at the Navigator headquarters years ago. Lauren Sandy was the speaker. He brought two messages on integrity. I still remember them. Wonderful messages. In the one of them, he told a story I'll never forget. He said, I was speaking at the nearby Air Force Academy not too long ago, and he said, one of one of our Christian cadets was graduating soon, and I was so proud of his accomplishments. He had been well-decorated as a student, and he was look up, looked up to by so many of the underclassmen. He said, when I was there, I ran the risk of putting him on the spot, but I, I just wanted him to know how much we all appreciated him, and so I said to him, would you mind coming up and standing by me? And, and he stood up and walked up by me, and the room, he said, was filled with underclassmen, and they all looked on him, looked up at him with great admiration. And he said, I want you to tell the cadets who are here, all these men and women who are in this room, how much your time with the Lord has meant to you during your years at the academy. Just, uh, you don't have to preach, you just share with them your quiet time and what the difference has made in your life. And he said the young man paused. He looked at me and then he looked at the room and he said, uh, Mr. Sani, I haven't had a quiet time virtually since I came to the academy. I've been too busy. I've been involved in my studies. In fact, I've I've not been the Christian people had thought I was. And I just want to go on record today and say that I regret leaving an impression that was false before all of you. And he walked back to his seat and sat down. Lauren made the comment something like, I don't know when I've admired an individual more than at that moment. Would you have done that? More penetrating statement. Would I have done that? Would we have acknowledged that we weren't the person that the others thought we were? You meet in smaller groups, I realize. You have Bible study groups and prayer groups and you have your own adult fellowship that you attend. When you're in those groups, be careful about the peer pressure because while you're there, you can be hesitant about just telling the truth. Let me encourage you to begin doing that if you've not been that way before. Rewards come from telling the truth, not leaving a good impression. Just say it. 
You'll be admired more than ever, believe me, by just saying the truth. You may owe one of your children an apology. Or you may owe your parent or your mate an apology for a lie. Leaving something unaddressed that you know left an impression that made you look better than you were. Make that right. Determine that you're going to be an individual that models the truth. Like the young cadet who said, I don't want to leave this school and these classmates of mine with an impression that I was someone that I, I really wasn't. I, I, I know there, there's risk in that. I understand that. How much better to risk here than to lose a reward there? It's a great time for me to close by saying, you, you could, for years, have looked like a Christian. You've learned the songs, you carry a Bible, you, you run in Christian circles, you attend church, but you've never trusted in Christ as Savior. You, you honestly know that if, if you were to die tonight, you wouldn't be in the arms of Christ. You'd face a future that is, frankly, frightening and dreadful. Let's take care of that now. Bow with me, will you? Just for a moment, let's all let our hair down. Let's all be what we are. Let's let the truth reign. Do you really know Jesus Christ? Is he truly your savior? Or have you been mouthing the words, singing the hymns, attending the meetings, reading the verses, but you're not a child of God. The Lord will accept you just as you are. He won't even chide you. After all, you've been without Christ. Lies are part of a lifestyle lived without Christ. But now you say, I want to become a Christian and I want to be a person of integrity. I want to walk in the light as he is in the light. I want to live the truth, not just talk like I'm living it. So I take Jesus as my own Savior, and I trust in him alone as my Lord and Master. Do that now. If we can help you in your journey of growing in Christ, we want to do that.
And as best we can, we want to do that with integrity. Thank you, Father, for a few moments of soul searching. They haven't been easy. They're convicting. When we look at our lives through honest lenses, it's pretty difficult to admit what we see. Please forgive us, our Father, for living one way and talking another. Enable us to be people who are great from within, people who walk in the truth as well as believe it. Help those today who trust you as Savior to begin a life of truthfulness. May we learn a lesson from this couple who carried out a plan that worked against them and brought all the church such grief and sadness. There's a real place for true fear of the Lord. In a day of such arrogance and presumption, I pray that we might regain a sense of holy reverence for the Lord our God. Find favor in this, I pray, and build us as a church into people who are people of integrity. These things I ask in the name of Christ our Savior. Everyone said, Amen.